A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everybody, welcome down to Snow's History. Got an unusual one for you now. You're not going to believe it. This is a podcast about the criminal subculture in the Gulag. We're going deep. We're going on a deep dive into the Soviet system of mass imprisonment in the 20s and 30s and how people survived, sometimes flourished in those environments, and the criminal subculture. The ink, the gangs, the language. And I'm going to be talking to Mark Vincent about that. He is obsessed with the Gulag. He's an academic that's obsessed with the criminal subculture of the Soviet gulags. Pretty, pretty interesting stuff. You can watch interviews like this. You can watch our hundreds of history documentaries. You can listen to our almost thousands of audio podcasts on History Hit TV. It's my digital history subscription service. It's kind of like Netflix. If you go on there at the moment, we've got a deal running for the, the sort of lockdown deal where if you use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, you get a month for free and then you get the first month for just one pound, euro or dollar. So it takes you through two months with pretty much all the history that you can absorb. So please go and check that out. But in the meantime, everyone, enjoy Mark Vincent. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. No problem at all. When I think gulags, I think, I'm sure wrongly, but of posh, formerly aristocratic <laughs> sort of political prisons. But I mean, give me a sense of the scale of these gulags and who's in them. So uh, virtually everyone, no matter whether or not you're a member of the Communist Party, you're likely to upset them enough at some point to be shoved in a labour camp and sent off, you know, kind of packed away to Siberia. So it is mainly political prisoners, like kind of, you know, aristocratic, you know, the, the kind of people who will write memoirs later on, but actually there's all kinds of marginalised groups, um, homosexuals, different nationalities, and the kind of criminal recidivists that I look at in my work. You've focused on the people who might have been in prison no matter what the political system, on the, on the sort of... Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's fairly likely that a lot of them would have probably been banged up anyway but it is a, a, a society which is driving down very harshly on all forms of, of crime like hooliganism and so on so there is a there is a probably a higher density of prisoners inside and even if you're a small-time thief then it's reasonably like you would have been sent to, to prison or a labor camp anyway but the chances are in the gulag you get a longer sentence and the chances of then getting out are fairly limited okay so let's just define what is it uh, the gulag it does it mean geographically remote does it mean siberia well, Gulag is the um, bureaucratic term they use to signify the operation of the camps. So Gulag is just a, an acronym in the same way that the Soviet Union is full with like kind of endless acronyms. So Gulag is the, the main administration of the camp system. But actually, uh, that divides up in a, into a number of different types of camps. But it's become well-known as a, an overarching label because of works such as uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's The Gulag Archipelago, like really famous books by former prisoners. 
And the ones you're looking at primarily, are they, are they are they near cities or are they the ones that are very, very remote? Well, in all likelihood, if, you, if you're a really serious criminal in terms of like the gangs that I'm looking at, you're probably sent away quite far. But there, there are labour sites in and around the major cities, which is something which is quite often overlooked. But normally they function in a kind of similar way to open prisons. Like you, you're, you're inside a, a gulag near St. Petersburg or Moscow, but only if really you're on a, quite a kind of short-term sentence. So talk to me about the kind of gangs that you're looking at. First of all, what, what activities are they involved in that are getting them put in these places to start with? There's a, there's a certain hierarchy to them which follows the kind of criminal hierarchy you'd probably find in loads of different you know, you know, prisons and camp systems. If you're a violent criminal, if you're, if you're a bank robber, um, those kind of crimes, crimes that are more kind of glorified in TV shows and, and films, you probably, you're probably at the head of the gang. Uh, someone who's known as a pahan in, in these Russian gangs. Uh, and then you, you, you have a, a kind of hierarchy beneath you. You have your kind of lieutenants or lackeys running around and delegating tasks to a kind of even lower level beneath that. So there is a certain structure to them, but the gangs that are formed are quite kind of ad hoc because um, the Gulag uh, system is one which is in kind of constant, constant flux. It's a kind of world in perpetual motion. So people are being transferred between different sites all the time. And are these gangs in the gulags that emerge, are they based on existing gangs in the big cities of the Soviet Union? Would you go to a gulag and be like, oh, I know this guy? Well, sometimes you could be kind of fortunate enough to run into someone you know. But certainly um, the tattoos that I look at function as a kind of passport. So you'd be tattooed with specific types of crime on your knuckles. So if you're a, if you're if you're an arsonist, if you're a bank robber, if you're just if you're a, a house burglar, you'll have a different uh, ring tattoo. And so the the, the tattoos so tattoos can be given by the state or is it no no these it's are the, okay, these yeah. are tattoos that the the, the, the criminals that, or, or the or the inmates will tattoo on themselves, um so there is an argument quite a strong one that it comes from the old process of branding so back in the nineteenth century they would brand people on the foreheads with the word thief or prisoner and so um. An argument I put forward in a book based on, on some other people's work as well is that the, the criminal recidivists are essentially reclaiming their own bodies and showing how they're opposed to the state. Like the state can bang them up and send them away to labour camps in Siberia, but they're retaining some kind of semblance of control over themselves. See, possibly because I'm I've grown up like reading the kind of more bourgeois literature coming like soldiers and coming out of those gulags. What strikes me is how different they've got anything that had gone before, and this was like a sort of barbaric crime against humanity. But we, do you think the experience of the inmates that were bank robbers that were arsonists murders, do you think they would have had a profoundly different experience under the czarist or the communist regime? I think, if anything, the, um, the size of the gulag and the composition of prisoners allows the kind of criminal recidivists, these gangs that are formed, um, to have a lot more agency when they're inside the camps. So the, the gulag gr grows uh, so much more than the kind of late imperial pre-1917 prison system. Uh, and, and, and actually, um, during different stages of the kind of carceral journey, in particular the transportation process, um, what the authorities do if they're transporting prisoners on ships is they just lock the hold and leave everyone down there. So there's no surveillance whatsoever, which means that if you are, um, if, if you, if you are of a kind of criminal mindset um, and you want to use that as an opportunity to kind of dominate other prisoners, then that's a, that's a perfect chance for you. So the Gulag essentially creates the conditions for criminal gangs to have more agency. And also gives them a high, a high amount of prisoners from different backgrounds who they're quite opposed to, such as political prisoners, that they, that they can, um, they, that they can uh, use to, to, again, like, you know, kind of dominate and, uh, you know, they, they steal clothes off them. They make their life, you know, incredibly difficult. For these serious criminals, did they sort of know they weren't going back to society? 
some of them become institutionalised in the same way that we know that other you know, other people in different penal institutions also become you know you have become very stuck in that in that routine. Um, th there isn't much of a life for them outside of the camps, and given the amount of um, control, like kind of informal power that they at least you know think they have or they have in at certain times, I think they almost prefer that to being on the outside and running the risk of you know the um, the, the Soviet secret police you know chasing them down and hunting them. So. They, they, at times you'll find that people are about to be released and, and they'll go away and find another prisoner and they'll, com they'll commit some kind of violent crime against them just to stay inside the camps. And so what form does the domination take? So, so, if you, so they assume they're going to be there for a long time, they sometimes don't even want to leave. Uh, the, charming, the, the charms of so Soviet Russian life, maybe <laughs> they think it's better off inside the camp. Um, is, it, is it accumulating money, um, rewards, privileges, clothes, women, like what, what boys, what, what, what is the... What what is the what is the purpose? What to what ends is this domination? The argument that I that, that I've put forward um, is, is that it's about survival. It's about survival for everyone in the camps. Like whether you're a, a, a you know, marginalised nationality uh, or if you're a political prisoner, everyone is looking to secure access to rations, especially um, in times when um, the population of the camps peak. So the biggest peaks for me are towards the end of the 1930s, when the population jumps by about a million because of the Great Terror, which is happening in a million more um, prisoners in the camps. Um, the second peak is in, in um, 1953, uh, leading up to, to Stalin's death, and the population um, approaches around about 2.5 million. So it's the kind of seen as the zenith of the, of the camp complex. At their worst, do they like the... The Nazi camps the, for the Soviet prisons of war, where they were almost just being packed in there to let start to well, they were being packed in there to to starve and just die. Did they ever did it ever approach that bad? I think um, there there is an there is an argument and uh, there's this repeated phrase that's uh, Auschwitz about ovens. But I think actually when you look at uh, what the Gulag is, it's this system of uh, like your multiple detention punitive institutions. I think it's a lot more complicated. The the um, they're trying to keep certain prisoners alive. There's some very good recent scholarship on um, the amount of resources being put in to keep prisoners who are seen as being healthy and can therefore um, contribute towards uh, whatever work they're doing. It's those prisoners who are being targeted and they're being treated very well in the, in the medical facilities, certainly compared to the prisoners who are there, they're seeing as um, you know, not, not being as healthy and not being able to contribute towards the, the, the whatever um, whatever labour, whatever industry that the camp is involved in. So can you give me an example of like where a gang a gang becomes really well established and, and how they might operate and what their relationship might be with the authorities in the camp as well? So there, there is, there is a, a particular point after the Second World War. So this, the, this, the Second World War changes a lot of things within the Gulag, within this you know, system of labour camps. Um, so a lot of prisoners are released to go and fight on the front lines in the Second World War. Around about a million prisoners are released just to be used as, essentially as cannon fodder. Um, so they then return to the camps afterwards and there is a lot of animosity between the criminal recidivists who've stayed in the camps and the ones who have left because one of the, one of the biggest rules in criminal society is, um, is about colluding with the, with the authorities. Without, it's, it's about opposing authoritarian structures. So there is a big rift between the, the criminal society and the gangs are virtually split into at the end of the Second World War. And they fight this quite prolonged period uh, of, of violence, which, um, which stretches quite far. Like, like it, it can be seen going from one camp to the next and going a, going a reasonable distance across the camp system. 
like not every single camp in the Gulag at that point is involved in this fighting, but the, but there are a, a lot of them are. So clearly you can see prisoners being transferred around as well, and this animosity between the two groups spreads pretty much because of um, one of the groups uh, being released to fight on the front lines and for the for the Soviet state. Wow, and, and that and they managed to communicate across you know across camps and. Well, so so the um, like collusion collaboration with the authorities is is the it is the biggest um, um, rule in criminal society. So so a lot of the camps uh, and a lot of the prisons in there kind of understand this immediately. I mean, it's the same as um, criminal society on the outside and being a police informant. Essentially, it's you know drawn from the same feelings. Um, so it, it it spreads around because of the prisoners and over time um, this this war. Um, which does have a name to it, which is probably uh, you know, unrepeatable on this podcast. Um, it, it, it develops because of uh, rumours that spread and prisoners are still being transferred between one place and the other. And certainly there's a, a, a mythology that's kind of attached to it after a while. It, be it becomes a kind of foundational moment for um, the criminal gangs who are later going, going to become mafia organisations during the second half of the 20th century. Oh, hang on, that's interesting. So, that, so the, some of the we think today of organised Russian crime... That's got its roots in the gulags. Yeah, they 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 emerge. There are there are there are um, criminal traditions they they uphold um, from from the nineteenth century, maybe even the eighteenth and and before that. But certainly that um, their their big kind of moment, the criminal gangs which emerge and become orga organized crime, kind of mafia style organizations, that comes from the nineteen fifties and this and this war that happens between the the, the this rift in criminal society between the thieves, uh, the Vori, and there's some really excellent scholarship on the Vori and then what they go on to do in the 80s and 90s. Um, it all comes from this, this moment at the end of the Second World War. That's when they get a more detailed system of tattoos to mark who they are and which kind of affiliations that they have. And the tattoos later go from gulag to, to prison to prison and, and, and fit in immediately to a kind of network that's already there. Yeah, again, like, so, you, so you get transferred um, and, and uh, immediately upon arrival, um, you know the, the 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 criminal gangs, the more kind of author authoritative prisoners, will be very interested in who you are, uh, and almost immediately, with a lot of the criminal recidivists, they can tell this because they can look at your tattoos, um, your 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 hand tattoos, but also like, significant tattoos which are which are on your chest and over time um, on your on your shoulders as well, almost like um, you know like kind of um, military um, epaulets. Um, so th this codification system of tattoos really develops like, around the time of the Second World War and it's kind of aftermath. Have you ever wondered if the Hanging Gardens of Babylon were actually real? Or what made Alexander so great? Join me, Tristan Hughes, twice a week, every week on the Ancients from History hit, where I'm joined by leading academics, best-selling authors and world-class archaeologists to shine a light on some of ancient history's most fascinating questions. Like, who built Stonehenge and why? What are the Dead Sea Scrolls and why are they so valuable? And were the Spartan warriors really as formidable as the history books say? Join me, Tristan Hughes, twice a week, every week on the Ancients from History hit wherever you get your podcasts. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Other examples of the prison authorities um, running the prisons through the gangs yeah, because it's actually easier to sort of work with the grain of what's going on in the prison rather than try and stamp it out. There is a strong suggestion. This is something which, it, like, there's no um, archival documents. There's no like official memorandum to say let's let's let the criminal gangs kind of run things, and so we can suppress these other groups. But they certainly think that the spread of political ideas. Um, through the prisoners we were talking about earlier, the, the politicals, people like uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, a group known as the 58ers, and they certainly think that the spread of kind of um, almost like Trotskyist ideas is worse than um, cr criminal gangs are seeing, seeing as being, uh, in, in the words of the regime, socially close. Um, and they're seen for a long time as being reformable as well, kind of malleable and open to different kind of cultural educational activities, such as, um, you know, um, writing prisoner newspapers and performing in a theatre. They, they, they certainly think that they'll be able to um, not necessarily control the criminal gangs, but they, they might be able to turn them into productive Soviet citizens. Well, and they're not ideologically opposed to the regime. No, they're not. They're, I mean, they're ideologically opposed to any kind of regime, <laughs> which is the biggest problem they have, because the, the cultural educational activities never really work. I mean, they work with a lot of political prisoners who are interested in writing for the newspapers and performing in the theatre because it's similar to activities they would have done on the outside. Criminal gangs, I mean, th th their main pastime is, is playing cards and telling stories and um, other more kind of violent pastimes. And uh, presumably if you're in a criminal gang, you, are you on lighter duties? you have better rations? Well, you can certainly manipulate the situation to make... I mean, a lot of the criminal gangs, um, at least senior figures in them, just refuse outright to work for the regime, and they'll stay in the barracks. And if they, if they continue to refuse, then they'll be sent to a, um, a kind of punishment compound. Um, but then they, they, there's very little that the regime can do, you know, once, once they've... You know, the punishment compound is pretty much um, the, the, the most um, punitive thing that they can do while they're in the camps. Um, so they are opposed to working for the regime. They do what they can to steal other prisoners' rations, um, to, to get the lower-ranked members of criminal society of the gangs to, to, to go away. And they, um, they, they basically stage card games with other prisoners. Essentially, like they, 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 the games are complete nonsense because um, everyone cheats. And everyone understands that as well. But they're used, to, they're used against um, newly arrived prisoners, you know, prisoners who are very kind of naive to the situation. And so they'll be played for, for food rations and for clothing and for everything else that's in there. If you can't spot the sucker at the table with your bones, <laughs> you are the sucker. Well, the word that they have for the yeah, the, the Russian word that they have um, for a lot of these prisons is 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 um, sucker, like a pre pretty much a direct translation of that. So yeah, they see a lot of people coming and they kind of dupe them into. I mean, this, this is something that happens in the nineteenth century. 
in the 19th century, they actually, um, because of the difference in, in the system, they, they have um, prison marriages which are set up where they can, they, they get, essentially they use these um, m marriage ceremonies for prisoners to switch places. And so um, someone who's a criminal recidivist will find someone who's on, on, a, um, on a lighter sentence and they'll often switch places with them. And then they'll go on and they'll pretend to be that prisoner. They'll take their prisoner number. There's no photographic identification during that time. So they'll use it as a way to, to, to manipulate the system and, and hopefully get released early. And so the reason uh, that you're fascinated in this is partly what, just because of the gang culture, the ink, but also its lasting impact. It's obviously got an impact on Russian society. It lasts up to the present day. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I watched the, uh, an incredible film called Eastern Promises, which is set in London. It's about the Russian mafia. It's got Viggo Mortensen in it. Um, so I watched that film and I found out there was a tattoo exhibition happening in, in Shoreditch. Went along to that and you know I was I was just I, I was just dragged in by it all. I was just kind of completely fascinated and remain obsessed with it like to this day. There are a lot of very good people doing stuff on the mafia in the eighties and nineties, which is when you know kind of the, which is when that film was based and when a lot of the kind of tattoo drawings that I saw in the exhibition are from. So I just began working my way backwards, like let's let's see how how far back this thing goes, and to kind of find my own niche, which happens to be a bit more in the nineteen twenties and thirties. And what, what happened to the gulags? They just, it just became the Russian prison system. Russia has this long tradition of um, ex expelling kind of its unwanted elements to the, to the peripheries. So um, a lot of the um, more, more kind of strict Russian prisons today are located in the same place as gulag sites from the, from the 20th century. Like the, the, the functioning of them has slightly changed, but certainly the, the locations remain the same. And a lot of the attitudes between prisoners and the guards, um, they, they continue to use the same slang, for instance, that they were using uh, in the 1920s, 30s, 40s. So, and they, they use this, the, the same words to describe um, the transportation process. So the transportation process um, is in wagons and it's firstly kind of like initiated or connected to a guy called uh, Stolipin. Um, who's 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 very kind of senior figure in the Russian government leading up towards the revolutions in 1917. Uh, Stolipin is seen as being a very harsh man. Like he gains this reputation for hanging people. Um, he like so they, they begin to use the the phrase Stolipin's necktie to refer to prisoners being hung. But they also um, attach his name to wagons as well. So the so the transportation process becomes um, connected with him, and, and they refer to as Stolipin wagons, something that prisoners still continue to use in, in Russia today. The book is called Criminal Subculture in the Gulag. Oh, it's out now. And what's the next book? I'm working on a project. Uh, it, it doesn't have a title at the moment, but it's an archive of the Criminal Tattoo Collection. And it should be out. Um, so the first book is out this summer. And we're hoping that the second book will be out uh, the following summer. Keep an eye out for uh, And if people, can people follow you on social media? Uh, yeah, I'm um, at Vincent Criminal on, on Twitter. Vincent Criminal. Vincent Criminal, yeah. Nice. I'm not sure how proud my parents are for that name, but... Um, yeah, uh, and I, I've, 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 yeah, I've got a website that you can find through, through my Twitter account. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Great. Thank you. Hi everyone, it's me, Dan Snow. Just a quick request. It's so annoying and I hate it when other podcasts do this, but now I'm doing it and I hate myself. Please, please go onto iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps, basically boosts up the chart, which is good. And then more people listen, which is nice. So if you could do that, I'd be very grateful. I understand if you don't subscribe to my TV channel. I understand if you don't buy my calendar, but this is free. Come on, do me a favor. Thanks. 
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.